Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. Now, for 14 years, Luminos has been providing processes, strategies, skills, and safe spaces to daring individuals, teams, and companies who are committed to developing courage, conversation, and resilience to get through the tough stuff of work and life. Now, this is achieved through individual coaching and team coaching interventions and Brené Brown's Dare to Lead Courage Building offerings. Today, we are fortunate to be joined by the MD and founder of Luminos, Julia Kerhenkel, who is a professional coach and one of the few Brene Brown accredited facilitators in Africa. She's here, of course, to share her knowledge about how leaders can go about building a psychologically safe workplace. And we are recording together our Get Through the Tough Stuff, a guide for leaders conversation series. So welcome, Julia. Thank you so much, Karen. It was such a pleasure to be on your podcast series. Fantastic. So let's begin our conversation by sharing with us, how do you define or characterize a psychologically safe workplace? Okay, so the definition of psychological safety as coined by Professor Amy Edmondson at Harvard, based on an extensive research study she did around what is the key secret ingredient for teams that are really high performing and effective and you could say happy, they enjoy working together. So what was the definition that emerged from that is that it is a shared belief that all the employees or members of the team will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas or questions, for naming their concerns, to owning up to their mistakes. And there's this idea that the team feels safe for interpersonal risk-taking. In other words, they're willing to be vulnerable with each other, but still willing to be quite robust. And it doesn't imply that everybody is in a cozy, friendly relationship and they all get on all the time. Actually quite the opposite, because if I feel I can challenge, but there's enough trust in place and I'm not going to get taken out, a career limiting move, this really builds that level of connection, courage and safety in the team. Fantastic. So I think one of the things when it comes to psychologically safe workplaces and when we're trying to develop and establish them, a lot of what you just said, it's not about building that friendship. It is about being able to address things directly. How does a leader do that without coming across perhaps as bristly or taking things on too quickly in the moment? And I think that steps into specifically in environments where a team or a workplace may be quite devoid of psychological safety, a leader might be trying to change behavior, shift behavior, or to provide that feedback, but it's not well received. So how does one do it then? How do you practice that? How do you begin? That's a great question. So yes, I think there might be this eagerness to, all right, I know we need psychological safety, so I'm going to come in quite hot. So over-engage and say to everybody, come on, it's safe here. You can all speak out. But unfortunately, as humans, we need to be able to really trust that and needs to somehow be tested. So just one thing, when there isn't psychological safety in the workplace, you use the word devoid, people don't feel safe. Now, 
we're not talking about existential or physical safety or security. We're talking about this feeling of if I don't feel safe, I am going to need to self-protect. And this then opens up the whole Pandora's box of all these self-defensive behaviors that show up. So people will need to either withdraw, keep quiet, not put their hands up, not speak out, not challenge, just hide out, maybe even secret keep. A mistake happens, a ball is dropped, oh my gosh, I better just cover this up. Another thing you might see is that people start to become very people-pleasing. We call this the move towards pattern. Sucking up, excuse the word, the language, playing the politics, really manipulating people in order to get my own way and to always look like the, the blue-eyed boy or girl, and actually not being able to acknowledge wow maybe i've done something or i'm going to name something which could make me unpopular and the third thing is you might see quite aggressive behaviors coming out where people are moving against that so being too overt too blunt saying quite harsh things like you're either on the bus or off the bus and what will start to happen is you can weaponize anything with tone I also think if a leader is really genuine and authentic, they're going to go and ask a lot of questions. They're going to observe a lot of what's happening in, the, in our meetings. Is it really quiet in here? Are there only one or two voices that are always speaking out? What about the others? And no matter how many times that leader rattles the cage and says, come on, everybody, trust me, speak out, then they're not going to do that. What you also see is people starting to blame each other, always needing to be right. The biggest indicator is people not having those tough conversations that need to happen. So there's a lot of conversations happening in the back channels and on the sidebar, in the corridor, so to speak. People blowing things out of proportion. Oh my word, this project we haven't made target on it, we're all going to get fired because they don't feel safe. They think there's a real risk there. And of course, people resigning both maybe emotionally or literally and giving up which is not great. So the leader needs to be really aware of what am I noticing? What am I picking up in the atmosphere, in our meetings, in conversations? What are people saying? How are they reacting? And what is it that I need to do to show up in a way that makes them feel that I'm going to be direct, but there's still this care and kindness and a calmness that I bring to those conversations. Make sense? It, it does make sense. And I'm just thinking as you're speaking there, that's on the one side in terms of actively trying to build this, but a lot of that would also be dependent. And there's been a lot of writing and a lot of speaking at the moment, a lot of recognition of the harmful effects of the toxic employee or toxic practices in the workplace. And I think on the one hand, you might have this leader trying to build a sense of psychological safety, but if they're not tackling those toxic practices head on, they're never going to get it. So what is your go-to advice in terms of a leader trying to build the sense of psychological safety, but also addressing those toxic practices? Number one, build your own courage to be able to lean into those tough conversations where we hold people accountable for behaviors that are outside of the agreements or the values of the organization. Number one. So the minute you see that happening, seeing those leakages into the culture, into the team, it gets addressed. The person gets 
spoken to with curiosity. Help me understand what's going on. These are the things I'm noticing. So speaking to the behavior, not you're always late, you're dropping balls. But it's like what I'm noticing is each time this individual speaks up in a team meeting, you shut them down. Last Monday, you said the following to this person in that meeting. So really getting specific around the behaviors. And again, saying that's not okay here. So what is going on for you? What support do you need from me? or a coach or the team, where's this frustration coming from? And how do we address it? Because it's okay to be frustrated. I get it, this project's not going according to plan. You've got a client breathing down your neck, but it's not okay to shut other people down and actually be quite disrespectful. So it's really building the courage to, to go there and to lean into those conversations, which are really uncomfortable and vulnerable. And I know we're going to talk to vulnerability in our next sessions, but it's the number one thing. We have to be able to deal with that feeling of awkwardness inside of ourselves, literally in our bodies, and still go there. It is what a lot of leaders not necessarily shy away from, but with so much going on and in busy environments, it's quite easy to just let those incidents slide. But I think, as you've said, so important to call them out in the moment and develop that courage to to really go there when necessary so we've spoken a little bit about looking at these toxic practices and what it takes to build a psychologically safe environment as a leader when you're sitting in that meeting or feeling out your organization how do leaders actually gauge the level of safety of psychological safety that's evident what are some of the markers that let them know it is either is present or is not? And then what do they do about it? What are some of the in the moment things they can also do to build that? Yeah, I'm going to speak to five ways that have been, I guess, tabled as a really good starting point to be able to get an assessment of what's going on. Yeah, even prior to maybe doing a sort of formal kind of intervention, if you, I think there's this need for a level of self-awareness and a tuning into the environment. Like I said earlier, what am I noticing? What am I picking up? What's my role and contribution? How am I showing up when mistakes are made, when balls are dropped, when things don't go accordingly? Or am I avoiding those things or making a really big deal out of it? A key question I always say to individuals in that self-awareness space is in the absence of information, we make up stories. So when I don't have all the inf pieces of data, I fill in the gaps with my most predominant narrative. So I might not tackle a situation with Tabojo and my team because I'm making up a story that that individual is going through a divorce and as a result, he's lost his focus. And so I stop giving Tabojo feedback because oh, he's going through a divorce. I stop giving Tabojo feedback around where he's perhaps not meeting the standards that are required. I stop giving him opportunities. Instead of going, hey, Tabojo, what's going on? I'm making up a story that it's because you're going through a divorce, but what's happening for you? So that's essential is that as leaders, we've got to check what's going on in myself. What are the stories I'm making? What am I noticing in my environment? Then I guess if you want to start rationalizing psychological safety, the first of those five things is make it an explicit priority. So there's always really useful opportunities to raise it as a topic, as a level of education and awareness, 
say, this is what it is. These are the different elements of psychological safety. And again, that's really important to talk to because there's inclusion safety, learner safety, contributor safety, and challenger safety, which we won't go into, but there's lots of different elements that people need to feel safe around. So educate, talk to them about why it's so important. When it's not present, this is what we see. You want to be able to do some kind of assessment, and there is kind of 10 key questions that can be asked in a maybe a, uh, something like an anonymous employee engagement survey or using something like a Mentimeter if you've got a small team and you don't want to do it at a bigger level, is asking people some key uh, statements for them to answer. Like, it's easy for me to ask other members of this team for help. Nobody on this team would deliberately act in a way that undermines my efforts, true or false. It's safe for me to take a risk on this team. I understand what's expected of me. When something goes wrong, we work as a team to find the cause and aim to get it right versus being right. So you can get some really useful data around that. And importantly, not just to then file that report and go into a little room around it, but really facilitate a conversation around that. So facilitate these forums where people can speak up and teach them some skills around how to manage that discomfort, how to go there, what are some of the sentences and curiosity cues we call them to help people actually open up. The third thing is establish norms for failure and mistakes when they happen. How do we want to handle those situations? What are the behaviors we want to embrace and what are the things we want to avoid? And when it happens, how will we show up with each other? That's essential. So there's an agreement around that. You might even want to explore what are those hot topics, those worst case scenarios, those kind of sacred cows that no one talks about, but we all know is there. How do we just have a conversation about it? Let's flush out the rumors. Even if I can't share all the information, let's at least talk about it. This makes people feel safe. There's openness, there's transparency we can trust. And lastly is create space for new and wild ideas to be put out there. If people feel like they're going to get shut down for asking questions or challenging or saying, isn't there a better way of doing this? Or can I ask why we're putting this solution forward as opposed to another or I was thought of something and they feel like that gets shut down, you don't get any innovation. You just get groupthink and status quo and little changes, nothing fundamental moves. What are those spaces where we just say, let's come together and challenge what's not working? How do we make improvements? And lastly, number five is build a capacity to go to those places where you can embrace productive conflict. Now, that is all about learning how to lean into those hard conversations and have them. We call them rumbles, which is about managing quite high degrees of vulnerability, feeling uncomfortable in those moments, but coming through them with more clarity, maybe more connection, and a feeling of, wow, we can get through tough stuff together, and it's okay. We can move on. It's not stored in some little black book for my once a year annual review where I say once upon a time, Karen, you did the following and I didn't like that. And now you're in the bad book, so to speak. So those are five ways that I think are really useful for people to start going, you know what, let's get deliberate about this thing. 
It's not going to happen on its own. I think that's critical what you've mentioned and definitely some serious skills that we all need to build in terms of being more courageous, but also being able to really get to grips with the tough stuff and tackle it head on in a very positive way. And I think we're going to touch on that hopefully in our next episode, which is finding that courage to be vulnerable as we delve into that. But thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your very rich insights into this very important topic. And just looking forward to our next session, again, on courage and vulnerability. And I know that is a topic a lot of leaders shy away from or is, is probably misunderstood, as I hope we're going to get to grips to what it means to actually be vulnerable in the workplace. So thank you so much for joining us today, Julia. Thank you so much. Chat to you soon.